I have many responsibilities of head of my household. <clears throat> I take them all seriously. One is to provide weather reports and forecasts. I have to let my wife know what's the weather going to be like before we go outside. And so I'll say, okay, today it's going to be sunny and 72 degrees. She will say, but what should I wear? Oh, so now I've got to be a fashion consult as well. So I have to say, this is light jacket weather or this is not. Anyway, she appreciates that and I take that role seriously. I also announce seasonal changes According to the calendar, today is the first day of spring. How about that? Now, a few weeks back, <clears throat> almost six, on February the 2nd, that rodent from Gobbler's Knob, Pennsylvania, told us that there would be six more weeks of winter and then spring would arrive. I hope it has occurred to you that spring arrives six weeks after February the 2nd, regardless of that rodent's prediction. I mean, you got winter and you got spring. That's just the way it is. But beyond the calendar entry and the rodent festival, let me say that we can tell it's spring because of certain plants. Those that we thought were dead are suddenly showing life. My wife had a hosta bed uh, around oak trees in our backyard. And each winter, we would say that the uh, hostas had died back. I think that's a old folks expression, but since I'm 74, I'm going to take it. They died back. And then in spring, here they come again. Well, obviously they hadn't died at all. They were just dormant. Now, my message to you today is not about dormancy, it's about death. But it's also about life. I've entitled the sermon, Dead or Alive. And the scripture passage comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, Jesus told his followers that when the Holy Spirit came, he would guide into all truth. So the Apostle Paul, being inspired by the Spirit, was presenting a truthful message to Gentile converts. So in it, when he's talking about we were this way and you were that way, he's talking about the Jews who had been converted at one time were this way, and now you Gentiles, you have also been converted by the same fashion. No doubt there were non-converted people receiving this message as well. So it's, it's a message of evangelism. It's a message of equipping. I like what our pastor says about the difference between preachers and teachers. I'm a teacher. Our pastor said a few weeks back that 
Um, when he was asked, what's the difference between a preacher and a teacher? He says, well, the preacher pours it on and the teachers rub it in. And, and so this morning, I want to kind of massage it in those evangelical words that he preaches most every Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit gave a message to the Apostle Paul, who gave a message to converts, Gentile converts. And furthermore, being a Gentile convert myself, that message has been passed on to me. And I'm going to pass it on to you by the Spirit's leading and by His power and His truthful message. There are three important truths to be borne out by this scripture. There are probably more, but I just found three, and you wouldn't accept more than three from a Baptist preacher anyway. So three truths that I'm going to present to you this morning. First truth is the edict. You were dead. You were dead. Now, unlike the plant comparison, the Apostle Paul doesn't say, well, you appeared to be dead, or it surely looked like you were dead, or boy, I could have sworn you were dead. No, the Apostle Paul is saying, you were dead. He goes on to say that all of us previously were. He's suggesting that some people still are, but he is not referring to physical death. You see, physically dead people couldn't have heard his message. I mean, they were dead. A dead person can't hear any message. Now, there are a number of medical exper experiments that will declare that uh, people who are in a coma can hear the voices of those around them, and they've come out of the coma and said, here's what I heard. And I, okay. There's no medical evidence to support the concept that physically dead people hear anything. They're dead, and every biological function has ceased. Even so, the Scripture never presents physical death as a non-existence. You see, when we look at the story of the rich man and Lazarus, we see there that two men died. They physically died, but both are still existing. They're existing in eternity because the Bible says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. So we all will exist in eternity. The question is where? One was existing in eternal bliss, the other in existing in eternal torment, but existing nevertheless physically dead people. So Paul wasn't referring to physically dead people who could not hear the message. He was referring to spiritually dead people who could hear the message. So this morning, there are two kinds of people hearing this message. Whether you're online, whether you're at the Warrington campus, whether you're in this room, wherever you are, you are in one of the two situations. You are either spiritually dead, or you used to be. It's one or the other. It can't be neither. Now, in order to understand the concept of spiritual death, we have to go back to our original ancestors, Adam and Eve. There they are in the Garden of Eden, a beautiful place where God had provided everything that they needed. God did give them specific instructions regarding the tree that was in the midst of the garden. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said to them, do not eat of that tree. For the, t the day you do it, you will surely die. Satan convinced them that God was withholding something from them that they needed. The knowledge of good and evil. And they would not die if they ate from it. Well, they believed Satan. They disobeyed God. They ate of the fruit and immediately gained the knowledge of good and evil. 
which today we would re refer to that as a conscience. Now you may wonder, why was it a bad thing for them to receive a conscience? Well, go back. God had already provided everything they needed, including the capacity to obey. So if they were obeying God, they didn't need a, a conscience to tell them, this is the right way to go and this is the wrong way to go. Follow God. He will not lead you astray. The Bible says, my God shall supply all your needs. So the capacity to obey was there. They just chose not to exercise it. But they gained something else that day, very important. They gained DNA. Now, high school biology students, and even our pastor who minored in biology at seminary, would understand that DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid, which is the hereditary material in humans that makes each of us distinct. I'm going to suggest to you that you can use that same abbreviation for something else. Distinct natural attribute. Or another way, defective natural attributes. You see, each of us was born with a birth defect. It's called sin nature. That's the defect. It's common to all people. Theologians refer to it as a sin nature. It's that DNA that causes a person to lean more towards evil than good given a choice. In Genesis 8:21, after God flooded the earth, and Noah and his family were offering up a pleasing sacrifice, God made this statement. Never again will I destroy the earth by flood. I wish he had said, never again will Bristol Woods be destroyed by flood, but that's, that's another story. Never again will the world be just destroyed by a flood. Although every inclination of man's heart is evil from childhood. Please gather that. That has nothing to do with the so-called age of accountability, which you won't find in the Bible anyway. Each of us was born with something that we have no way of controlling ourselves. It takes somebody else to help us. DNA can also refer to deadly natural attribute because that is a consequence of yielding to the sin nature. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, the Bible says, for as in Adam all die, referring back to that defective natural attribute or deadly natural attribute, what we call DNA. The second truth from the scripture that I read earlier is the evidence. Your transgressions and sins. The scripture goes on to say that as an indicator of spiritual death, you have transgressions and sins. Now transgressions and trespasses, some of your translations may say trespasses there, those are basically the same. It just means that you violated a boundary that you either knew about or you should have known about. If you're out in the country and you see a beautiful setting and you just can't resist, even though there's a posted no trespassing sign, you ignore the sign, climb the fence and go take advantage of that beautiful view. You have committed, according to scripture and according to law, a trespass. You have violated a stated boundary and you either saw it or you knew it was there. It's the same thing um, if you are exceeding the posted speed limit. The speed limit sign is not a suggestion. 
When it says observe the law, that doesn't mean take a look at it and keep on doing what you want to do. Well, I observed it. I just kept on doing what I wanted to do. No. Observe it means follow it. So if you violate the speed limit, you have trespassed. Jesus taught his disciples to pray it this way. Forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us, others. Those who violate our rights, we forgive them. We want them to forgive us when we violated theirs. It's a trespass. It's a transgression. I have a confession. We've heard it said it's good for the conscience. It's not very good for your reputation, but confession nevertheless. There have been times in my daily Bible reading where I have skipped over some words presuming that I knew what they meant. I do not allow myself that same freedom when I'm doing Bible study. I stop, look at the Word, go back and refer to it in Strong's Concordance. If you don't have a Strong's Concordance, I certainly urge you to get one. Uh, nowadays, they're pretty cheap and they don't weigh nearly as much as the one I first got. I think the one I first got was about 25 pounds and about $75. Now you can get them for five bucks at a garage sale. Um, but they're about that thick. In that particular concordance, it will take every word of the Bible and give you from the Hebrew or the Greek an English translation. Now that's very important to know that because there are words in the English language that go back and follow that Hebrew or Greek word in Scripture. And so sometimes you may have a word in Hebrew or Greek that has a dozen or more English meanings. You're not going to really know which one to apply unless you use it in context. Or as one person said to me one time, if common sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. And so sometimes you'll see a word in the Bible and you say, that just doesn't make sense to me. What other definitions are there for that word? And once you find it, you say, that seems to make sense. Well, that's good. Particularly when we come to words like sin, sins, and trespass. Many times those are all used as synonyms. I do not believe that they are. They're similar, but they're, they're not the same. The word sin in its singular form I believe relates back to that which we inherited from our ancestors, Adam and Eve. It came to them because of their disobedience when they ate the fruit. That destructive DNA has been passed on to all mankind through man's seed. David said, I was conceived in sin. Now that doesn't mean that his mom and daddy were doing something they shouldn't have been doing. David recognized that the birth process includes the sin nature because every person born of man's seed comes through that same sin nature. Our dads inherited it from their dads, from their dads, from their dads, all the way back to Adam and Eve. That sin nature. In Romans 5.12, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, said it this way, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all men. So he's following the progression. Spiritual death comes through our inherited nature 
from Adam and Eve. And we cannot on our own change that. Do keep in mind, though, that there is only one in the history of mankind that did not come from man's seed. Only one, Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit said to Mary, angel said to Mary, said to Joseph, what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Didn't come from, uh, from Joseph, came from the Holy Spirit. So because of that, Jesus is the only one in human history that did not have the DNA, defective natural attribute. Now that is extremely important for what I'll talk on at the end of this message. Extremely important. He's the only one. He's the only one who was not spiritually dead at the same moment that he was physically born. Every single one of us, the moment we were physically born, we were spiritually dead because of what we inherited from Adam and Eve. And it doesn't do any good to blame anybody. I don't blame anybody that I was born with asthma. It was something that happened. But I couldn't cure it. It took someone else to do that. Everyone in human history was physically born and spiritually dead at that same moment. I have an illustration for you that will be shown in the overhead. It's a tree. Notice in the root the big word sin. Take a look at the spelling of that. You will conclude I will always be in the middle of sin. Unless you're going to change the spelling, I will always be in the middle of sin. So there we are. Now, sin represents the root, that which we got from Adam and Eve. And it produces fruit. The fruit shows just how unlike Jesus we are. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, list some of them. They're on that drawing. Arrogance, lying, violence, deception, impulsivity contention. Galatians 5.19, Paul refers to fruit of the sinful nature when he says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, selfishness, cliques, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. And there's more. 1 Corinthians 13, impatience, unkindness, envy, boasting, pride, rudeness, selfishness, grudge-holding, and others. Now, if I've missed anybody in the room from that fruit, let me just put one out there that'll catch you anyway. James said, he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it to him, it's sin. Okay, we've got it all now. Because there's some things you could have done and you didn't do it. That's evidence of your sinful nature. That's fruit on that tree. And then there are some things you did see on that tree. If you compare me to Pastor Tread, you're probably in that tree right there. In 1 John 1.8, it states, If we claim that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess it, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is good news, folks. When you contrast it with the bad news that I presented so far, that is really, really 
good news. Now, although, although God will forgive and cleanse of your sin, there's some situations where they just won't. You might have seen it a month ago. It was in the news. Two members of the Finnish parliament were arrested for expressing their religious views. They had the audacity to question their church's sponsorship of an LGBTQ pride event. And they dared post on Instagram a caption of Romans 1, 24 through 27. They are charged with ethnic agitation and will face two years in prison if they're convicted. These are two members of their own parliament. When the charges were announced, Finland's state prosecutor said that their comments were made to cause intolerance, contempt, and hatred towards homosexuals. Further, he stated that the Bible should not overrule Finnish law and that the use of the word sin could be harmful. Mercy me. The word sin could be harmful. The sin itself isn't. You got that distinction. But using the word, that could be harmful. One of the two being charged said this, their country has descended into secular religion. And I'll quote, if previously the majority in the established evangelical Lutheran church were believing in the Bible and belonging to the church, it shifted to belonging to the church without believing the Bible. Further, it is now rapidly moving to believing, not believing in the Bible and not belonging to the church. That's not just Finland. That's here. That's here. Paul, the writer of the book of Galatians and both books of Corinthians, in another book wrote, the things I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Now, Paul is acknowledging his struggle with his flesh, his human nature, that root fruit problem. I don't believe that Paul is a hypocrite. I believe that Paul showed his inconsistency. And by the way, each of us have the same thing. We want to do that right, but we find we didn't do it. We didn't really want to do that, but we find that we did. You don't have to be re-saved if you've ever been saved. We believe once saved, always saved, but the real question is, were you once saved? The Bible admonishes us to forgive sins, the plural, and trespasses. However, only God can forgive sin in the singular the root problem. I don't have any power to forgive a person's sin nature. I don't have that power. The Bible says I don't. But it does exhort me forgive their trespasses, forgive their sins, plural. Those evidences that they're not living the Christ-like life. We recall the story of Joseph's brothers that sold him into slavery. And a few years later, there was a famine in their land, and they needed to go to Egypt to buy grain. They didn't know it at the time, but they were going to have to face that brother that they sold into slavery. And so they did. And then after their father died, they began to worry, uh-oh, now that dad's gone, who knows, Joseph may show us hostility towards what we did to him. He may take revenge. So they took a letter with them to Joseph, 
And here was the message. Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say this to Joseph. I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. When Joseph heard that, he says, am I in the place of God? Don't be worried. Joseph is saying, I can't forgive sin, the root. I can forgive the trespasses. See, the dad's message was asking him to forgive their trespasses and their sin. He didn't have the capacity to do that. He could only forgive the trespasses. God forgives sin in the singular. King David, after violating the personal rights of Bathsheba and her husband Uriah, he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, and he said this, I have sinned against the Lord. He then said this to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Now early on in my Bible study days, I thought that David was being a bit flippant and maybe even arrogant. Well, against you I've sinned, but nothing towards Bathsheba and Uriah and the people that I serve. No, David is saying it correctly. Against you and you only have I yielded to my sin nature. Now, I don't find in the Bible where we have a record of David's confession to Bathsheba or to Uriah's parents or family members or even the nation that he served. But I, I, I do believe that David, being a man after God's own heart, would have taken that further, which is what we ought to do also. When we recognize that we have yielded to the sinful nature, confess that to God. When we see who it harmed, confess that to them. My wife and I aren't big on apologies because I don't find much of that in the Bible. Apologies seem to roll off your tongue, kind of like a sing, say, I'm sorry. But a confession is what the Bible talks about. See, confession requires humility. You have to identify what you did. And so David is identifying, I confess my transgressions to you. I confess my sin to God. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the account of Jesus healing the paralytic is presented. Just prior to the healing, though, he made the statement, son, your sin is forgiven. That raised the eyebrows of the Pharisees, and they accused him of blasphemy because rightly they knew only God forgives sin. Who are you claiming to be? Which opened up a possibility for him to tell them. But that's very important. Only God forgives sin. Now, Jesus, acting as God's proxy, did have the power to do that. He had been given that power. So we have one truth is the edict. You were dead. Another truth is the evidence. Your transgressions and sins. The third truth, the escape. God's love and mercy. Please understand that your salvation is not dependent upon a parent, a priest, a pastor, or a formula. Unfortunately, some people do believe that it's based on some of those. 
In Phoenix, Arizona, there was a priest who resigned from his Catholic church. This was just about 30 days ago. After it was determined that he incorrectly performed thousands of baptisms for decades because he changed one word in what he said from the bad baptistry. According to the bishop of the Phoenix Diocese, the priest used the words, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he was supposed to say, according to them, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We heard that earlier from the baptistry. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In his resignation speech, the priest said this, and I quote, It saddens me to learn that I have performed invalid baptisms throughout my ministry as a priest by regularly using an incorrect formula. On their official website, the diocese said that baptism is a requirement for salvation and all of the invalid ones needed to be repeated. They were asked if that impacted those who also married within the Catholic Church. Here is their official response to that question. Maybe. I'll continue. Unfortunately, there is no single clear answer. Yes, there is. There is a single clear answer. It's not a formula. It's not a formula. Paul asked the question rhetorically in Romans 7, 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And right after that, he gives the answer. He didn't say, oh, it's being baptized in the name of, no, he didn't say that. He said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the only way. It's the only way. That's what we believe. That's what we proclaim. And that's what we take with us into eternity bliss, not eternity torment. The scripture for this morning says, we have been made alive with Christ. Nobody in the Bible ever self-resurrected. They never did. Another was involved in the resurrection process. Elisha raised the son of the Shunammite woman. Paul raised Eutychus. Peter raised Dorcas. Jesus raised Lazarus. And God raised Jesus. Important to look at that. Because sometimes we'll sing a song and we will think, like, up from the grave he arose. We'll probably be singing that in the near future. Don't interpret that to mean that Jesus resurrected himself. Mm -mm. Jesus was either dead or he was simply in a coma. And the cool tomb caused him to resuscitate and out he came. I will tell you that there are some liberal theologians who actually believe that and they promote it, that he didn't really die. Of course, some said that he didn't come from a virgin birth either, so you know about where they stand. He wasn't in a coma. He didn't just swoon. He died. The Greek word, I don't do that often, but the Greek word is nekros. We get necrosis from that word. 
all dead organs, cells, tissues, stone cold, slab faced death. He died, and God raised him from the dead. And so, when God raised him from the dead, he was made complete. And the Bible says we can be made alive with Christ. We won't do it ourselves. There's a process involved, not a formula, a process. I read a fascinating medical article not long ago about bone marrow transplants. When a person's own bone marrow stem cells are diseased, his or her life is in peril. To survive, there must be a bone marrow transplant. Once that procedure is complete, the recipient of the transplant shares the same DNA as the donor in the most important cells in the body, the blood. Now there are still remnants of that person's original DNA, but the one that counts in the blood is from the donor's DNA. In Leviticus it says the life of every creature is its blood. Since we were born with Adam's DNA, we will always have that. But in order for us to have eternal life of bliss, we have to, as it were, have a bone marrow transplant. Because keep in mind what I said earlier, Jesus is the only one who didn't have the destructive DNA in his. So we can then get what he has in ours that guarantees us eternal life bliss. Once made alive in Christ, we share his cells, figuratively speaking, in our most important part, the spiritual nature that we will share with him for eternity. It's important to state how can we be made alive in Christ. And this is, don't take it as a formula, just take it as a process, if you will. How can I be made alive in Christ? It's A, B, C, D. First, acknowledge. Acknowledge the biblical truth that you were spiritually dead the moment you were physically born. Since you were born with it, you can't correct it. It's going to require someone else to do that. You can't. B, you must believe that only Jesus Christ can make you alive from your spiritual death. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. There is no other way that we can be saved except through Jesus Christ. If we do not believe that, we are going to reside in eternal torment. Now, I'm hoping, really, that this message isn't frightening people. It's not my intent to frighten anyone with this message. But it is my intention to arouse some folks who have fallen into a a state of uh, uh, false security, thinking that, well, because when I was just a tot, I was baptized, and I'm good to go. I'm telling you, that's a false sense of security. It's a false sense of security. It takes more than that. Some folks go into that water up there as dry centers and they come out wet ones. It's not the water. 
It's the relationship with Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't go beyond the relationship with the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus, it's not valid. It's got to go beyond that, way beyond that. Because we may say he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows when you've been bad or good. It's a lie for heaven's sake. That jolly round man in a red suit is not God. It is not God. God is the only one making a provision for our salvation, and it is only, exclusively, no other way except Jesus Christ. And I know this church stands on that foundation, or I wouldn't be standing behind this pulpit right now. I'd find me another place. Jesus is the only way. And then D, if your actions in A, B, and C are from a sincere heart, then demonstrate it. Demonstrate a changed life. Now that changed life does not mean that you will not exhibit from time to time some of the fruit of that old root. You're going to do that. And yet I will hear people say, how can he, how can she be a Christian when that word came off his or her lips, or that happened, or how can he be a Christian? How can he stand behind that pulpit with blue jeans on? Well, my wife told me to. But anyway, once we get into that kind of thing, how can he be a Christian when? How can he be a Christian if? Demonstration of fruit of the root. We have that till we die. So please be careful not to examine those fruits and, and conclude that person can't be a Christian. Because when you start doing that, you're going to demonstrate your own fruit. It's on that tree somewhere. But when we demonstrate that ugly fruit, those qualities uncharacteristic of Jesus, we go through a process that the Bible refers to as pruning. Jesus said, my father is the vine dresser, and he prunes the vines. How does he do that? Well, when we recognize through conviction of the Holy Spirit that we have demonstrated some of that fruit, we confess it. And the moment we confess it, he lops it off. It's gone, enabling more of the righteous fruit to show we then begin to show love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. But we are always going to show some of that other because of our nature. I read one time about, a, I guess it's Aesop fable, of the tortoise and the scorpion. Maybe some of you have read that also. A tortoise was going across the pond, and a scorpion wanted to hitchhike and get to the other side. And the tortoise looked at that big stinger on the tail of the scorpion and said, there's no way. I don't have any assurance that you won't sting me. And the scorpion said, why would I do that? I want to get to the other side. And the tortoise was persuaded and let him get on his back. Midway across the pond, the scorpion stung the tortoise. It was a lethal sting. And just before they're both about to go under, the tortoise asks, why would you do this? We're both going to die. The scorpion replied, alas, it is my nature. Yeah, we've got a nature too. 
And it's deadly, it's destructive. It is that which we inherited from Adam and Eve. But there is a way out, the escape. Jesus Christ and Christ alone, that is the escape. God has made the provision. Yes, hallelujah for that. Praise God. Praise God. As John comes to play the hymn of invitation, the Holy Spirit, who prompted this message, is also prompting your hearing. I prayed that early this morning. God, let them ignore the messenger, but it, please let them hear the message. I am really concerned that our culture is moving toward that which they saw in Finland. It's moving away from the church. It's moving away from God. It's moving away from Christ, and it has become a secular religion. We need to make sure that there's more church in the world than world in the church. And if we don't have it fixed in our mind, how do we get there from here? We can't carry the message. Because you can't teach somebody something you don't know anymore than you can come back from a place where you ain't never been. That's North Carolina slang. <laughs> Sean Pillay and John Dubois are going to be up at the front to receive those who are touched by the Spirit to declare, I thought I was, but now I realize I wasn't saved. I want new life in Christ, and now I understand that I am going to still demonstrate some of those other things, but I'm not going to be complacent about it. I'm going to confess it to God of a yielding to my sin nature, knowing that that part is taken care of, and then I'm going to square it with whoever else I violated. That way, I'm going to demonstrate fruitfulness for God's sake. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time with these, your people, asking you to translate into their understanding the message you provided for me. I realize that I can mess things up, but I pray that I would never mess up a presentation of your word. So use it as you would to touch hearts, save, stir, change lives. In Jesus' name, amen.